doe, a deer, a female deer, ray, a drop of golden sun. From the Sound of Music, lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein, the second. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. As far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Welcome back to another episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't want to touch on it, but it's March 31st, 2022, we all know what happened this week. Everybody is talking about it. It is the big hot topic of the week. And I just felt like because we are talking about media, because we talk about movies and TV books and mental health, especially based on a movie and a book that were heavily based on mental health, we had to address it. That is right. The uh, This week, the military has decided that they will not be putting tiny bottles of Tabasco sauce in the MREs. They are going to start putting a powder-based hot sauce. And for anybody that has ever eaten an MRE, that is an acronym for meal ready to eat, uh, you know how critical critical the bottle of Tabasco sauce was. Not every meal came with a, deba- with a bottle of Tabasco sauce, but uh, I don't know, maybe a quarter of them did. Uh, a lot of the food was so terrible that if you didn't have that hot sauce, uh, they, were, they were almost inedible. And, you know, t- Tabasco is not even people's favorite hot sauce necessarily, but it, it, it went well to fix any of the dishes that it was in. They're, so they're doing powder packets now, like a little, what is it gonna be? Um, we don't know, is it gonna be like the little red peppers? And I think that this, I know a lot of people are gonna be very affected by this because food is seen as one of the major uh, morale boosters for military. We know the other, other thing that's going on this week, Russia's still invading Ukraine. And there's been a lot of talk about the low morale amongst the Russian Troops, and that's good. I, here's the thing: I don't even have to be political on this. I I would say I wish morale, low morale, on any invading force. I've made it very clear in the past. I don't know if if Ukraine is the good guy, but I definitely think there is no need for Russia to invade. I we've all we've all declared our our spots. We've all got our pieces on the board. Just start building your houses and hotels on the properties you own. We don't need to be invading other countries, any of us. I do I do want to say one of the things that I noticed, and this is going to be a terrible joke, but McDonald's was one of the first corporations to pull their company out of, out of uh, Russia. And so I guess, I guess the West really did get to enact their no-fry zone. The no-fry zone. Okay, all right. Sorry, I apologize to my three listeners. Please don't unsubscribe. If you were, stay tuned for the rest of the episode. We've got a lot of really uh, exciting, juicy information to go over. We are counting down today. I was just joking about that. Nobody cares about MREs, but we were going to talk about, we're going to dive into the topic, some of the biggest Oscar scandals in history. Uh, You wanted it. We... We listened to y'all. So starting off with uh, a scandal 
that definitely rocked the world back in 1890s. Um, it is one of my favorite authors. I haven't actually read anything by him, but I've checked, I've checked several of his books out from the library multiple times with intent to read them, and I've left them on shelves or tables. So I feel like in some ways that's like, oh, do you love an author more if you read their book and you digest it immediately or you keep, you keep trying to, but you're like, the time is not right. I, I would like to remind you, Silver Linings Playbook is a movie that I checked out from Redbox several times before watching it. And then it was much, much later when I actually read the book. Technically, I've never read the book. I had it read to me by by an uh, audiobook reader. So, will The Picture of Dorian Gray be one of my favorite books of all time? Uh, right now, I'd like to say it is, because I haven't read it. So it can't not be. In my head, I hold it up as one of my favorite books I've never read. But it's also one of my least favorite books I have read, because I haven't read I'm... Let's get to the scandal. Oscar Finnegal O'Flaherty Wills Wild. That's, how many of y'all knew that was his full name? Five names. Oscar Finnegal O'Flaherty Wills Wild, better known as Oscar Wilde, who was born on uh, the 16th of October, 1854. <clears throat> he was an Irish poet, playwright. Uh, some of his uh, he, he became one of the most popular playwrights in London during the 1890s. And his most notable works, uh, his novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and The Importance of Being Earnest. And I hope, I sincerely hope that I can't say that title without uh, eliciting in your head the exact same picture that is in my head right now. And that is of the beloved actor Jim Varney, who used to portray the uh, film and TV character of Ernest, uh, unrelated to the importance of being Ernest. Anyway, back in the 1890s, Oscar Finnegan, no, Os we're not going to do his whole name, Oscar Wilde, received a criminal conviction for gross indecency for consensual homosexual acts, and he was imprisoned for, for several years because of that. And he later died of uh, malaria. I believe it was unrelated. I <clears throat> this is a really, a really tragic thing. I think one of the most tragic parts about this too is that even in the criminal charges that the word consensual is there. Like let's, let's put aside your personal feelings. Actually, let's not because one, uh, I don't want terrible people listening to my podcast. Well, I do. I want everybody. I'm a terrible person. Uh, but, but it's sort of insane to me that you, that there, um, you know, we want to think of it as like over a century ago, but like even today that there would be legal laws passed keeping adults from uh, legally uh, being able to engage in consensual, and that is the key word, like every, every person involved in it wanted to be, the only people that didn't want these people to do what they did was other unrelated 
people, that's too much time on your hands. Go read a book. Uh, I don't even read books and I don't have time to think about all this stuff. So like read, a, I, anyway. Um, yeah, but that happened long ago and I'm sure, uh, most, okay. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm brushing over it. I don't feel super comfortable uh, talking too long about things that I haven't researched that much because I don't want to say anything wrong about them. Also, I should let it be known again, again, um, I'm not a lawyer, so until uh, any of these people are proven guilty in a court of law, they're all innocent. Except that's, that's kind of weird. Do I have to give a disclaimer if all these people have actually been convicted in a court of law? I feel like personally, I still want to give the the little disclaimer that I didn't convict any of these people. So in my heart, I don't know. But this next one, this next one is a little, it's gonna, it's gonna ruffle your feathers a little bit. All right. Uh, the next big Oscar scandal we're going to cover, uh, covers a gentleman by the name of Oscar Leonard Carl Pistorius. If that name sounds familiar to y'all, that is because he was an Olympic athlete he was a Paralympian. He had both of his legs amputated when he was 11 months old because of a congenital um, problem. He was missing parts of both of his feet and his tibias. And so the doctors felt that for the quality of life, they had to remove his legs. He got into running, became a very good athlete, and he was later dubbed the Blade Runner because he, he ran extremely fast with the, the athletic uh, prosthetics that amputees wear. He is a notable athlete because he actually competed not just in the Paralympics, but he uh, competed in the Olympics Olympics. I'm also wondering how recently this entry was updated because I'm, I, again, I am going to be reading from the article. So if these are not the most current terms on how to refer to these things, please excuse whoever wrote these and myself because I did not write them. Uh, but he ran, uh, he is notable because he ran in disabled and non-disabled events. He was the 10th athlete ever to compete in the Olympics and the Paralympics. And he was the first athlete, well, let's go back a second, the International Association of Athletic Federations, which sounds like too many adjectives, but that's what they wanted to call themselves. International Association of Athletics Federation. I feel like they're just making up acronyms at that point. Well, I guess all acronyms are made up. Uh, they objected to Pistorius to competing in non-disabled events. They felt that his artificial, artificial legs gave him a mechanical advantage over other runners, which, I, ooh, this actually is really interesting. That, but we're not here to talk about athletics or fair stuff. We're here to talk about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. So let's just get to it really quick. Pistorius overcame a 2011 uh, injunction that the IAFF objected to him competing in the non-disabled events. He eventually won his case and was allowed to compete and became the first double amputee to win a non-disabled world track medal. So that's 
pretty incredible. That's a great story. That would be a great story if that was the only scandal in his career. Uh-oh, it's not. Flash forward to 2013 on February 14th. What day is that? That's Valentine's Day. Oscar Pistorius shot his girlfriend. That is not a good gift to get your girlfriend on Valentine's Day. Shooting her while she's hiding from you in the bathroom. That actually sounds kind of sketchy. When, if you read about the case... I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. I'm not laughing. I always... I think I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. I don't laugh when things are funny. I'm not trying to belittle it. It's it's one of those things that I think, that is just awful. I'm, <clears throat> I definitely think we always think cases sound sketchy when people say they thought there was home intruders. I'm not sure how that has been a defense used in so many cases, like too many cases. There's too many cases of people being killed by people they know when... Uh, you know, they've been said they've been mistaken for intruders in their own houses. People that live together maybe need to have a better system to let the other person that they live there with know that it is them and not a stranger. I don't know. Like saying, hey, it's me. Um, or don't go around just shooting every... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have to do There's a great... Okay, so this is, this is actually one of my favorite systems. Um, I'm not going to give away the code, but uh, there is an animal noise <clears throat> that we make when going down the street. But, like, we don't make the animal noise. We say the animal noise in its sort of uh, automatopoeic way. Um, like, again, I said I'm not going to give away the code, so y'all don't know it. But it's something like saying, quack, quack. Uh, it's not that animal, though. Um, but it's sort of... You know, that's like, hey, uh, that's a friendly, fun way to be like, I'm here, you know me, and instead of just, don't just go into your bathroom blasting at whatever noise you hear. <laughs> like, it was Valentine's, also on Valentine's Day. I don't know, like. Um, sure, it wasn't Danny DeVito. That's, <laughs> anyway, I to just that's all I can picture. That's. <laughs> I can't, I, like, and so I want to, uh, spoiler alert, he loses his case, good, I, I think he deserves, like, so now he's known for being a murderer more than a runner, because, like, it's not, like, also people doing things to surprise their loved ones on Valentine's Day. I like, wonder the, if he thought she was cheating on him. Maybe. Maybe he could, was there somebody else in the bathroom? See, that's what I, I feel like, I feel like they're definitely... Could have been like he was upset about other things and used that to cover yeah, it. Yeah, why didn't he just say kind um, of fashion then, though? Because I would have gone over for anything back in those days. Because, like, what? I don't know. The uh, Somebody was robbing my house, but, you know, they dropped uh, a trail of rose petals leading to the bathroom, <laughs> and then they were shaving themselves in there, uh, you know, right before I feared for my life, and so I shot them, like... Um, yeah. It also his girlfriend was a paralegal uh, and a model, um, so she was very successful. And what actually paralegal, I think that's kind of the most tragic part because if she had been alive, she could have prosecuted him, or or maybe not like prosecuted uh, or Well, no. Okay. No, that's that's a, that's a, a stupid aside. Um, so anyway, he here's the thing. Oh, so this is this is I think a little bit of karma though. Assuming, and again, I'm not saying he's guilty, but like he he did 
it's not a question of whether he shot her or not. It's a question of his motive. And I don't like to question other people's motives. I'll let the court handle that. He was found not guilty of murder, but he was found guilty of culpable homicide. So he was given a, a relatively short sentence for that. I should also say, he was South African, so this is happening in the South African justice system. Um, he was temporarily released on house arrest when he was running... When he was uh, appealing his case in 2015 to the South African Supreme Court. But they overturned his culpable homicide rule and convicted him of murder. So, sometimes, if you're getting off a little bit easy, I realize. I re maybe that's the time to keep your mouth shut. Because <laughs> that's worse <laughs> He was he was trying to appeal. I am laughing at this part now because clearly he did. He, I mean, he got convicted, right? So I guess from a legal standpoint, we're allowed to say he's a murderer because he tried to be like, "Hey, I didn't culpably homicide my girlfriend," and they're like, "You know what? You didn't. You murdered her." Uh, so they increased his sentence after. <laughs> so I hope that was. Never look a gift horse I, I know. or a racehorse. I know. I guess he, he, the only thing he couldn't outrun was the law. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm we're, we're, who's really being overlooked here is the victims in these cases. All right. Moving on. The next uh, major Oscar scandal I want to talk about. Oscar Felch. Oscar Happy Felch. Oh, Felching. F-E-L-S-C-H. Happy was his nickname. Uh, then I saw nicknamed, nick nicknamed to Hap, which is kind of crazy to me. If you get a nickname and then people even shorten your nickname because they don't want to say your nickname. I, and this is based off of the movie Eight Men Out. Okay, so Oscar Felch was a center fielder for the 1919 Chicago White Sox. And that was the very famous baseball team roster that was involved in the Black Sox scandal. That was a major base, major league baseball game-fixing scandal, in which eight members of the Chicago White Sox were accused of throwing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for money from a gambling syndicate led by Arnold Rothstein. Judge Ken... Whoa. Judge... This is the name, according to Wikipedia... Kennesaw Mountain Landis. I find this interesting because Oscar Happy Felsch, happy is put in parentheses that, you know, denoting that happy is a nickname. I don't see any parentheses around mountain, so I guess his, his name was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, which is kind of weird because I used to go hiking on Kennesaw Mountain in Georgia, which was, a you know, the site of the Battle conceived. of Kennesaw Mountain. He, That's what his parents he named was. him. His parents might have named him Kennesaw Mountain if he was named on... I guess that explains why... It. <laughs> it's like the Carson. Carson. Yeah. Which completely explains why I've always wondered why my name, my full name, was Jamie uh, Bathroom at an Applebee's Ward. <laughs> That's <laughs> anyway, uh, the judge Landis was appointed 
as a response to the incident to be the first commissioner of baseball and given absolute control over the sport to resort its integrity. Wow, so I didn't even know that, that the, the commissioner of baseball actually was originally like a legally appointed judge and baseball was so important back in the 1919 uh, that they're like, we need... We need a king of baseball to rule over baseball. It's like to me, that's, um, man, people are weird. D despite acquit acquittals in a public trial in 1921, Judge Landis permanently banned all eight men from the professional baseball. The punishment was eventually defined by the Baseball Hall of Fame to include banishment from consideration for the hall, despite requests for reinstatement in the decades that followed, particularly in case of Shoeless Joe Jackson. The band remained. Uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson being a character from the fictional film, uh, I'm blanking on it now, uh, Field of Dreams. I always love to when people, every so often the movie Field of Dreams will come up as, as uh, people will be like, it was Field of Dreams based on a true story? And like the movie is not. It is based on a magic voice in the sky that tells uh, Kevin Costner to build a baseball field. There is the true element that it involves the Chicago White Sox, and Sheila's Joe Jackson is one of the characters. I believe he's played by is is, is Ray Liotta Sheila's Joe Jackson. It might have been one of the one of the characters is Sheila's Joe Jackson. Uh, it's a great movie. It's a great baseball movie. Kevin Costner also being in one of my favorite baseball movies slash movies of all time, Bull Durham which is a movie that I made every comic that ever went on the road with me. Uh, no, I made two of them watch it. So so a lot of a lot of y'all got lucky and got off the hook. Not off the hook, y'all missed it. Y'all missed getting to watch a movie that I thought is is about baseball, but it is also about, about the road life and being an entertainer and aging and chasing your dream and mentoring... Mentoring someone and wondering, wondering, do you love what you do or do you love the idea of what you do? And do you think Susan Sarandon is attractive? Well, you know what? 16-year-old, you might not. But then you get to be, I don't want to say exactly what age I am, but it's not 16. And it definitely makes a lot more sense, the casting does now. Um, the, the movie... Eight Men Out is a movie that I really enjoy. I like baseball movies, too. The movie Eight Men Out actually specifically cover... It's about the eight men that were banned from baseball. And that features um, John Cusack, uh, Bill Pullman. Um, I th oh, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me go over all the characters. I don't actually think Bill Pullman's in that. I think I said that the wrong... Uh, no, he's in that too. No, no John, John Cook. That's not even what I'm trying to say. Okay, I want to go over a list of the eight men that were on the 1919 Chicago White Sox team. You have Arnold Chick Candle, Eddie Chicote. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Oscar Happy Felsch. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm not sure if I, it might be show, showyless Joe. I'm just kidding. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Fred McMullen. Charles Swede. That's a nickname. Swede. Reisberg. George Buckweaver. And Claude Lefty Williams. And none of those eight men will ever get to play baseball professionally again. 
they most likely will not play anything again. That was 1919. That was over a century ago. But should any of them be like 130, they would not legally be allowed to play it. One of the um, members of the cast of the movie Eight Men Out was actually D.B. Sweeney, who was the protagonist in my favorite sports film, favorite romantic comedy film, not of all time, but of all sports movies that are not Silver Linings Playbook. He, uh, D.B. Sweeney, uh, is in the movie The Cutting Edge. Alright, uh, which actually made me think about what are the top, what are the top 10 sports movies? This is debatable, right? Live, so let's go over, let's go over what, and I'm, I'm going to go off of IMDb's top 10 ranking as of today, March 31st, 2022, right? So this is not the top sports movies of all time, but according to IMDb, what is, of all the current movies, the top sports movies. I'm also only going to go over uh, features that I am familiar with that are American, U.S. films, because there are some numbers on this list that by sheer numbers, I believe come from Eastern cinema markets, and you all probably would not have seen them, and I have not seen them or heard of them, so... We're just going to go into the list of top 10 U.S. sports movies as of today, according to IMDb. I believe there's only eight on our list, but we'll, we'll go over it. Number one, King Richard, the 2021 movie starring Will Smith uh, that is a biopic about Venus and Serena Williams' death. Number two is actually number three, because I skipped number two because it wasn't a U.S. film, I don't believe, is the movie Cars. A 2006 movie, Pixar, Disney movie. Is it a Pixar? It's, it's a Disney movie. That might have been during the Pixar break. I don't know. But it, uh, we, we know, you know what Cars is, right? And it features Owen Wilson, Bonnie Hunt, and Paul Newman as the voices Number four, Home Team, starring Kevin James, Taylor Lautner, and Rob Schneider. Number five, Ford vs. Ferrari, a 2019 film starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale as Ford and the Ferrari guy. Uh, I get, no, wait, is it not? It's not actually Ford. It's the guy that drove for Ford. Um, number eight. A League of Their Own, a 1992 film starring Tom Hanks, John Lovitz, and Bill Pullman. Number nine, The Blind Side, a 2009 film starring Quentin Aaron, Sandra Bullock, and Tim McGraw. Number ten, The Replacements, a 2000 film. And that uh, is not really starring anyone. There were some people in it, but I don't think any of them... Want that on there. That's interesting. I thought... No, I didn't see The Blind Side, and The Blind Side had its own controversy about it, but that apparently... I guess that starred Tim McGraw, which is really interesting because I believe that was a football movie. And Tim McGraw is in 
another football movie, and I would say arguably probably one of the best sports movies of all times. And I'm saying that as like objectively. I don't. It's not. It's not my absolute favorite sports movie. I do love it, but I'm. But like I think it actually might be in the running for one of the top sports movies of all time. And that is the 2004 film Friday Night Lights, which is so fascinating because that was based on a true story. And then there was a spinoff show called Friday Night Lights. And apparently the TV show Friday Night Lights sort of veers into a totally different area realm that is not of the actual live events that happened. It is a fictional show. I love Friday Night Lights, and I played high school football, but definitely not in... Okay, so the interesting thing about Friday Night Lights, too, I think they sort of, like, it... This is weird, because it's, like, it was based on a true story, but then they also adjusted some details, and that's to make it more cinematic, but I think maybe that's what makes it one of the best sports movies of all time, that they took a true story and nothing, you know, uh, truth is stranger than fiction, but then they also changed... They understood what it takes to make something a movie. Not just trying to make it a documentary, they, they were making it a you know dramatic narrative film. And I think that is a lot of why Silver Linux Playbook is so amazing because we've talked about in the past, David O. Russell really took the time and the care to understand the source material, the Silver Linux Playbook, the movie, right? He, like, he really just understood what the story was so that when it comes time to make a fictional cinematic movie it doesn't feel it's different it's tonally here's the thing that's important it's tonally different from the book but thematically it's the same and i think that's very important that the book is darker so that's what i mean it's it's tonally i don't i think he wanted to make a movie that had mass appeal while throwing in a little bit of sort of his the importance of the story that he saw the book and books books is a women heavy heavily dominated market and i'm not saying that that's not like oh i feel like women read more books i've done a lot of work researching books over the last couple years since I've written my own manuscript. I've been to writing conferences and I've talked, this is information that I learned. I was given this advice from people in the industry who were saying that the book markets are very uh, female driven markets. So if you want your book to be a commercial success, you, you have, you have to at least have women like your book um, because men will not drive the sales and for most of the time especially for fiction books it can happen <clears throat> you know but uh, generally um, women buy more books than men do women read more books than men do and and I think um, so this Silver Linux playbook was definitely a bestseller it was a New York Times bestseller it was all those things, and it was going to turn into a major motion picture. Now, movies can also be uh, women audience-driven, but the important part about this whole thing 
was that I think David O. Russell really wanted to open it up to say, hey, this is everybody's story. And, it, you know, and even though, though books are women, and I'm not trying to get too much into the gender dynamics of this at all, because it, Matthew Quick really wrote this, this book, uh, you know, for himself, defining his own audience. He was creating his own market for the book, just talking about things that I think are really, really universal. Mental health, he's not talking to women or men. He's talking to everybody Everybody from generations like mine, maybe a little bit before and way after mine. And then David O. Russell also took that great care because he takes this story and he's like, hey, here's this wonderful book, this story that gives us an opportunity to talk about something that is really serious, a serious issue, but also put it in something that is entertaining. Uh, he also has a child that suffers from several uh, mental health conditions, I believe. That I've said that in the past. I don't, I don't want to go out on a limb and say, say what they are because I don't want to insult his son, but I remember <clears throat> it is either obsessive-compulsive, it might be ADHD or Spectrum, one of those three. But he, he said in dealing with that, you know, as a parent, that, that that's why this, this story hits so close to home to him, so he wanted to just make sure it was, you know, done as well as he could. So they took that and they really made it its own entry in the medium of film. Silver Lennox Playbook and Friday Night Lights. I like them because they both are uh, like Friday Night Lights, three words. Silver Linings Playbook, three words. And they both have an L word in them. Lights and lining. I feel like that's an appropriate number of words for a movie. Um, a movie title. Which got me interested too, because I would, as much as I would love to see a Silver Linings Playbook series, I think I wouldn't either. I don't, because I, I, like you can't, don't make it happen. And then I thought about it, and I was like, well, you know, I mean, if they asked me to do one, I would definitely do one for Netflix, and because because a lot of people have have done shows based on movies, and that got me wondering what were some of the top shows that have been turned. What are no, let's do, let's do this. I only care about this one way. I'm curious about the top movies that were turned into TV shows, spinoff series. And it's kind of weird because I, I just, I don't feel the same about shows that get movies. I, it always feels like that's, oh, that's just a big episode. Even though like I want, I want movies for shows. Um, you have shows like Futurama, which made movies after it was a show but it was really just like trying to make long episodes i think they were they they got canceled and then they got the budget to make like 12 episodes in three movies or something like that so it's like each movie was just the length of multiple episodes um but sometimes it has worked and sometimes it hasn't there's some great spinoffs but i'm gonna go over the top 10 movies that became TV shows. And it's going to be really interesting to see how closely they stuck to them, how close they were inspired. You'll see, you're going to see some that are just literal continuations of the movie, and you're going to see some that are really just taking the source material film that they were based on and playing with that world or just taking the spirit of the story and continuing it. 
Also, I have decided that of the top 10 list, I am going to not count Star Wars or Marvel spinoffs because that is sort of its own entity, I think. Also, because they're not exactly shows that were based on movies in a sense of what we're talking about. They are their own universe building things, which only could exist in, in a sci-fi or fantasy realm. Which is exactly why I feel that I'm sort of the only entry into the Silver Linings Playbook extended universe. There's the movie, there's the book, The Silver Linings Playbook, and then there's the podcast. So I'm actually one-third of the Silver Linings Playcast extended universe right now, which is a very exciting realization. Anyway, let's go over the top 10 list of movies that became shows, not counting Marvel or Star Wars making it a top eight list. With number 10, and we are counting down from the least to the best based on this list. Number 10, The Emperor's New Groove, which was a Disney movie featuring John Goodman, and it became a TV show called The Emperor's New School. Number nine, Fargo. That was a, um, a Coen Brothers movie. It was fantastic, starring Francis McDormand, William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, 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 Buscemi. Buscemi is what I've always said. Steve Buscemi is what I've always said. I don't actually know what it is. I've never heard his name pronounced by anybody else. But y'all know who I'm talking about, right? So Fargo the movie became Fargo the TV show which was an FX original. And the, the TV show started Martin Freeman, Billy Bob Thornton, Allison Tolman, Chris Rock. I've heard that is a great show as well. I really want to watch it sometime, but I have yet to get around to it. Number eight, Monsters, Inc. was the film, Pixar movie. Uh, Billy Crystal, was that John Goodman again? It might not have, I don't remember. Um, if it does, he does a lot of voice acting work. He might not... I should not have included Disney movies on here either. No, wait. Actually, no, that's that's completely... This is different. That's different from Marvel and Star Wars. Because these are shows that I based on movies, okay? Uh, Monsters, Inc. And then there was a spinoff show called Monsters at Work. Number seven, The Pink Panther. Which was... Hmm. I love The Pink Panther, a series of films starting in the late 1960s starring Peter Sellers that were about a bumbling detective, that there was a bunch of, there was uh, The Pink Panther, The Pink Panther Strikes Back, The Pink Panther Returns, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting any of these titles right, but there was a whole series of, of Pink Panther films that were very um, sort of Monty Python-esque very a product of the 60s slapstick comedy films. Peter Sellers, of course, being a comedic genius, one of Peter Sellers goes up there with the um, Gene, Gene Wilder's, Steve Martin, it's just Robin Williams, not, not going to call them a comedian, not going to call him a comedic actor, just comedic entertainer, funny person. And of course, that was a spinoff. Um, there was a spinoff cartoon 
Pink Panther cartoons. Interestingly enough, these were not like the movie at all. They were about a pink panther. Uh, the Pink Panther movie being about a diamond that was called the Pink Panther. Um, the Pink Panther cartoon character was the film mascot from the title sequence in the movie The Pink Panther, but then he doesn't play into that at all. Funnily enough, when I was a child, I was once allowed to rent the Pink Panther movie as a, as a kid from Turtles Video, and my parents thought that I would like it because, of course, they understood that, oh, this is a funny movie. Looking back, I would not have let myself watch it as a kid, but also I was disappointed and ended up not watching it because I thought it was going to be about the cartoon The Pink Panther, and it has nothing to do with the cartoon The Pink Panther. The Pink Panther has since become an iconic mascot cartoon that has not only been a cartoon, but the, the mascot has been used for many things, including uh, ceiling and wall insulation. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know this is 100% fact, but I would venture a guess that uh, Pink Panther installation is the only installation, is the only film that has had a spinoff uh, installation, uh, insulation, fiberglass insulation brand spinoff. I could be wrong. You know what actually would be a great, I'm, sometimes things just fall into your lap. Do you know what would be a great a movie to have a spinoff insulation, uh, silver lining playbook. I would just call it the silver lining. I would call it the silver, the silver lining and just have a, that's ridiculous. All right. Uh, number six, the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock film, Psycho. Now, this is another interesting one. I like it when they change the name a little bit. I like when the spinoff series has a different name from the film that lets that lets you get off to a start to know it's going to be something different, but it's the same. From what I understand, and I haven't watched it yet, also heard it's great, the show is called Bates Motel. And from my understanding, it is the story of little Norman Bates. The, it stars uh, Vera Fermilla who we have mentioned numerous times in The Departed and Up in the Air. It features Freddie Highmore, Max Thero, and Nicola Peltz. I don't know if I pronounced those last two names correctly. Um, and I believe Freddie Highmore is Little Norman. I don't know... I can't even imagine. I think this is a, I think this is a prequel series about the life of Norman... Before, I, I don't 100% know what it could possibly be like, but I'm very curious. And talking about the psychos reminded me that I, I promised, I wanted to, I want to start fulfilling my promises a little more. If I tell you we're going to study, go over something on the podcast, let's go over it. And one of the things I told you I was going to go into a little more was some of the suspects from the Black Dahlia murder. So this week's, this was week's suspect, I think, because we've talked about nicknames, we've talked about psychopaths, we've talked about killers, and again, nobody has been proven guilty, unless, except for the names that have been proven guilty on the list, but I, this person this person is a suspect, or was a suspect. I am not claiming that they are the Black Dahlia murderer. 
right now, uh, even though they may be. And hopefully, if you have information about that case, uh, let, let me know. Don't, don't let me know. Now we covered this last time. Just let the authorities know. But I don't know why you would have information about that. Beyond, but, you know, that would be awesome. You know, like, right, if we actually did solve it just from the pieces we put together every week from talking about the different suspects here. But this week's uh, Black Dahlia murder suspect is Jack Anderson Wilson, who also was known as Arnold Smith. And this is from the Wikipedia entry. Wilson was a lifelong petty criminal and an alcoholic who was interviewed by author John Gilmore when Gilmore was researching his book, Severed. After Wilson's death, Gilmore named Wilson as a suspect owing his alleged acquaintance with Short, Elizabeth Short. Prior to Wilson's death, however, Gilmore made an entirely different claim to the Los Angeles Herald-Examiner in a story appearing January 17, 1982. While Severed says that homicide detective John St. John was about to close in on Wilson based on the material Gilmore provided, St. John told the Herald-Examiner in the same article, that he was busy with other killings and would review Gilmore's claims when he got time. As a reliable source of information about the case, such as the FBI files and portions of the Los Angeles District Attorney files have become publicly available, statements about Short and the murder attributed to Wilson in Severed and supposedly tying him to the crime have not been borne out as accurate. Severed also claims Wilson was involved in the murder of Georgette, Bowerdorf. Severed and many other sources based on Severed erroneously claim that Short and Bowerdorf knew each other in Los Angeles, supposedly, because they were both hostesses at the same nightclub. In reality, by the time Short arrived in Los Angeles in 1946, Bowerdorf had been dead for two years, and the nightclub had been closed for a year. Wilson was never a suspect until Gilmore brought him to the attention of authorities. Wilson figures into Donald Wolfe's book, The Mob, The Mogul, and The Murder, The Transfixed Los Angeles. Wolfe hypothesizes that Wilson was present at Short's murder and claims connection between Wilson and gangster Bugsy Siegel, which we talked about last episode, through some small-time gangsters Wilson supposedly associated with. He was also a member of the military. I feel like that was a little detail they didn't need to throw in there, just throwing a whole other organization under the bus. But, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying removing Tabasco sauce is going to create people to cause murderers, but I'm saying that uh, this is very tragic too. Um, Veterans, military veterans have a higher rate of becoming criminals and violent criminals after their time of service and so it is important to keep the morale up of military members. I would please advocate put the Tabasco sauce back in MREs, if not for me, because I don't even have anything to benefit. But, uh, you know, if, if it's making our servicemen and women, which I support wholeheartedly, happier and more with higher morale when they leave the service, then, you know, it does affect me. And I think it affects us all. I think we should all give... Also, I think we should give hot sauce. Hot sauce should be free. I mean, maybe not all of it, but maybe the government should subsidize like a standardized hot sauce available to everyone and even let homeless people have... Because here's... Okay, this is going to sound silly, but 
hear me out on this, all right? Beggars can't be choosers. And when we talk about, and I'm, I'm saying this because I'm a big advocate for uh, homeless veterans and homeless humanity, helping people that don't, you know, that fall on hard times. And a lot of times they're given free food and that food is terrible. Um, people often make donations, and I know this from working with several organizations that, that handled food donations and stuff. A lot of people want to give their old, spoiled, and rotten food to food pantries so they can pat themselves on the back. If you wouldn't eat it, why do you think anybody else would eat it? Like, yes, people that are on their last leg or in these situations don't often have the choice or luxury of what they want to eat. And I'm sure, you know, I can't speak for anybody personally, but they would be more grateful for something than nothing. But still, I think it is a bad practice that we have of being like that you can donate anything to can, can drives and stuff. No, at least, at least go buy fresh, fresh food. Fresh can, something that's not expired. And if it's lightly expired, that's fine because sometimes sometimes the expiration dates are not accurate. Also, you have to know there's different kinds of dates that are available on food. There's the best buy date, and and according to the government organization that regulates the use of these dates, the, the best buy date, this date guarantees the period of time the product will be at its best flavor or quality when bread will still taste soft or crackers crisp. The food will still remain edible after this date. It is not about food safety. It is about food quality. The sell-by date, this is determined by producers to inform sellers when to remove the items from the shelves. The goal is to ensure consumers receive an item at its optimal quality, which can last for several days to several weeks past the date, depending on the item. Milk, for instance, according to consumer reports, should last five to seven days past its sell-by date if stored properly. The use-by date. This is the last date the producers guarantee the best quality of the product. Again, except for cases of infant formula, this is not a safety date or a mandatory date. Now, there's a whole bunch of different um, standards for different types of food, too. So we're going to go by uh, go over a list of pointers for preventing food waste. For canned food, avoid cans with bulges or pop seals. If they look okay, know they can last as long as two to five years. Boxed stock or nut milks. Um, wait, no, this is not a list of things I wanted to know about because um, we weren't really talking but anyway, so the, the whole thing I was saying is I think because a lot of times shelters and food banks are given foods that are of lower quality, um, sometimes we should give a little bit of hot sauce, a little bit of spice, like a standard. The, the Tabasco is basically vinegar with some cayenne and salt and sugar, I believe. Um, the government should give a government hot sauce. Just make it available in all federal buildings, you know? And my friend Nick and I have both talked about uh, before. He actually had a great, great concept that I'm not going to go into the full concept, but I am going to talk about, because I've always had this idea that I think veterans deserve ranch, free ranch. I think if you serve in the military, you should be able to get free ranch from any restaurant for the rest of your life. Um, plenty, of, plenty of restaurants will give you some 
some extra ranch on a side. It's actually kind of weird. I wonder how big of a... We should, we should do an investigation into which restaurants give you free ranch and which ones don't. I want to be honest, and I feel like we've gotten a little distracted in the last couple minutes. Not all of this stuff is uh, exactly Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook related content. So to get us back on track, I, th I definitely think um, we're going to shoot back to the top 10 sports movies on IMDb now. And I'm going to make a, excuse me, separate list of top 10 sports movies that are not about the sports but are still movies. And number one, Silver Linings Playbook. And part of the reason this is one of the top sports movies of all time is because it really uh, takes a look at sports not at all. And I think that is really beautiful, how I thought it was going to be a sports movie because I saw the trailer many years ago. And Bradley Cooper's character is wearing an Eagles jersey, and there is some shots of him with some other Eagles fans. And, you know, so I sort of, I discounted it. I, I thought that it was a movie like The Rookie. Have I ever talked about my theory about what I thought Silver Linings Playbook was going to be based on the trailer? I thought it was going to be a down-and-out quarterback that was going through a hard time, and he slowly worked his way back to, to sort of get his groove back on the field, like the emperor, right, to get a new groove. And he doesn't. But he does in a way. Because the football field that he's playing on is not the football field of football. It's the football field of life. He's the quarterback of his own future. He's the quarterback of his own mental health. And I think that's a very interesting analogy because the quarterback is a really interesting role. You have a coach who calls plays. You have an offensive coordinator who sort of devises the plays that should be called based on his knowledge. You have a defensive coordinator, and yet the, the, the quarterback's out there. The quarterback takes the, the play, and then they can, they can call something else. They can call an audible. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe, but, like, when you're there, you're the only one that can make that decision. And I think, I think that's the lesson that Pat really has, that he keeps, he keeps trying to playbook his life in to this, this series of, of fixings, if you will. He's trying to get his ex-wife back. He's trying to help his dad. He's trying to or help his friend Danny. And yet, he's going, he's going off the playbook. Dr. Cliff Patel from the movie is giving him the plays that he needs to be playing. But he can't make Pat play them himself. And so he's like the greatest quarterback, which weirdly, if you looked at what role he would be on the football team of life, I feel like he would actually be more of a defensive back. Maybe he would be like a safety or something because you see him like standing back, just assessing, assessing the situation. And then he gets to take that really, really fast trajectory in to snatch up what he wants. Like, because you see him at the end and, and Tiffany is running away from him and he's running and he just chases her down. Like, she's got the ball, but the, the football is a letter. Um, 
that he wants to give her, and he actually wants to give it to her, which is different from football because the defensive player would be chasing the offensive player that has it. But we're talking very hypothetical right now. It's a term that I coined with my friend Nick that we're going to call it um, the psychological term of Aesop's fabling, where you want to explain something to somebody, so you use a story that is a moral tale usually involving animals or something to get your point across because you think the person you're talking to is too stupid to understand what you are telling them. So, But somehow they're supposed to understand what you mean when you're like, oh, it's a turtle with a log and he flies too close to this. Like, how is that easier for somebody to understand? Just tell them what you're thinking. Like, don't, don't make up a story with animals unless... Unless... It gives you a better example because it's just cleaner to understand the situation going on. If you look at uh, George Orwell, I think it was George Orwell that wrote Animal Farm, which was a a book um, that many people have said is uh, an allegory, an analogy, a metaphor, a fable, um, you know, because pigs can't really talk in real life. I mean, they can. They, They can communicate with each other, but they don't talk in English. Am I about to get a pig fact right now? Yes. They just developed a technology where they can understand what pigs are saying. Holy they smoke. literally translate. Oh, the po- yeah. Okay. Seven minutes. Huh? Hot off the press. We, I wish we had started on this topic. Apparently, uh, tech... Did y'all hear that? Technology's been developed so that scientists can understand what pigs are saying. So of all the examples for me to use, for me to randomly grasp, if I had... They don't speak English, but... I had been like, um, lemurs, lemurs don't talk to each other, but I said pigs, because that was the what George Orwell used, and then Katie comes in, she's just like, actually, scientists say they do communicate in a language. Maybe we don't understand. So they don't speak English, but they speak hog, and so maybe we're the ones that don't speak their language. Maybe they're talking about how they don't think humans talk to each other. They just randomly chop off the heads of one of their buddies arbitrarily and then fry up the middle and eat it um, occasionally. Like, what? why are we just this sick species that does that? That is amazing. Of all the animals. So, actually... Be very, very careful when you Aesop fable somebody because they might come up with a science fact that completely disproves the point you were trying to make. Much like the tale of the uh, little ant that once was playing soccer with the elephant. And the, the ant? ant looks at the elephant. Yep. You should tell him about what you learned about ants. Yeah. He's like, uh, get out of my way or I'll kick your ass. I also today I learned that you can sense ants... With with your with your nose and your pheromone receptors, if you so so try this: find an ant hill and figure out where it is, and then sort of don't look at it and walk away a little bit, and then try to sense walk towards where you remember it being, and then determine. When you feel like the air changes, it's not necessarily like smelling a new thing. Just, just pay very close attention to what your nose is reading 
in the air. It's like a physical sensation. And if you can't find it, go to your local Walgreens and get a COVID test. Because that was how <laughs> we figured out we had COVID back when we had it. Uh, so answer maybe our friends and maybe answer the ones that are telling us that, uh, you know, we're okay. We're all going to be okay as a species. I feel like we've gotten a little off track for this episode. Sorry. And I'm sorry about that. But I'm also I'm not sorry because, you know what, that's part of life and what happens and how wonderful it is. And I hope you all enjoyed this content because I sure enjoyed it. We'll be back next week and every other week as long as I keep doing this. Sometime between Wednesday of one week and Wednesday of another. Uh, we are no longer going to hold ourselves to Wednesday because we never were on Wednesday. It's always been a Thursday podcast. It's been the least consistent. I've been so inconsistently a Thursday podcast that maybe, maybe the real connection was it's, it's only not on Thursday podcast. But anyway, thanks for tuning in this week and at every week we keep doing this where we'll discuss all the latest and greatest about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, and until we finish going over all the suspects of the Black Dahlia murderers. But I think we actually ruled one suspect out this week. I think from the information that we gathered, we can pretty decisively say, and I'm going to go out on a limb because I don't think we can rule anybody out completely until we find absolutely who it was. But I am, I'm going to put my neck out there and say, I don't think, I don't think it was Jack Anderson Wilson, AKA Arnold Smith. That might be a little bit bold on my part, but I'm going to say, I don't think it was him. So we're going to look into some other suspects and, uh, next week. Let me know what you want to talk about Silver Linings Playbook wise or in the Silver Linings Playbook wise. If you want, hit me up as always on all the social media, the sil Silver Social Media at Silver Linings Playcast. At Silver Linings Playcast. And you can always email us at the Silver Linings Playcast at gmail.com. I think it's actually no the. Because we're not just about the book, we're about the movie too. Anyway, until next time, we'll see you down the road and Excelsior. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast. <laughs>